Hello, I'm Mariet Smeyman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is, how is teacher burnout influencing my child? My guest is developmental specialist, Dr. Melody de Jager from Johannesburg. Welcome, Melody. Good morning, Mariette. Good morning, listeners. To our listeners, after our conversation, Melody will give us her three best tips for supporting teachers. And then it will be fun question time. Melody, the pandemic has turned our whole world on its head, including education. But before we take a closer look at our topic, please tell us more about your involvement in education, which has been a long period of time, I know. Uh, Marie, it, it has been, I nearly said centuries, but it's decades, <laughs> at least just decades. But um, I was born with a love for children, and so I wanted to be a mom, and I wanted to be a teacher, um, and that's what I did. So I've been involved with teaching dolls, probably from my <laughs> fourth or fifth birthday, and um, I've always just... Children are amazing because they, they, they hold the keys to the future, um, but they're so open. And they, I don't know, they're marvelous creatures. So I want to be with them because it reminds one that you have it in yourself as well. So, um, yeah, for years and years I've been involved as a teacher and later years as a therapist, as in later years as a trainer of teachers. And now at the Mindfulness Institute, we work with, with both parents and um, teachers to support children. Because our, our, our emphasis has changed from working with, with children one-on-one, we still do, with great passion and success. But we've, we've realized that if we can empower parents and teachers, our reach is so much greater. Because one parent or one teacher can reach so many more. So that's my involvement in education. Yes, and maybe you mentioned the Mind Moves Institute. Maybe you can just say a, a little bit about that. So it's a research and training institute where we focus on the role of the physical body in the in the learning process. Well, it's not just learning. Well, let's define learning as the ability to adapt. So it's actually a life skill. It's not an academic skill. So when we focus on the physical component um, of learning, we play on the field of neuroscience. So I'm not a neuroscientist, even now. Um, <laughs> but we play on that field. Be- because neuroscience is the embodiment of, of learning and cognition. So it, it's looking at the role of the physical body. There's a long story around that, but in essence, we mimic the natural movement of, of babies, because that's the key to brain development for little ones, for children, for adults, for the elderly. Because when we look at the movement of, of infants, we get the key to the structure of the brain, to un- unlocking the structure of the brain. And this is important and relevant to the conversation because we need to, to distinguish between structure and skill. You need a structure, you need an egg beater because, before you can have um, nice thick cream to put on your coffee. 
Okay, so you need something, you need a structure, you need a thing, and it's, it's, it's a real thing, the brain, but the brain does not work in isolation. It needs the body and everything with the body to be able to, to later develop the skills necessary to succeed in life. So that's what we do at the Mindfulness Institute. We, we play under the field of learning because that's where we found most of the, the biggest lack is actually in physical development and the physical structure of the brain and the body. You must remember emotions have also have a, um, have a physical basis. So, yeah, that's where we, that's where we work, mm -hmm. the Mindfulness Institute. And may I just say that apart from the, the very interesting research that you always come up with, uh, your work is very practical. Thank you. Now today we're going to look at teacher burnout. Are you going to talk about all teachers? Or are you going to focus on a specific group of teachers? Marit, it's relevant for all teachers. Well, it's relevant for all people because I think people in general are battling with burnout. Um, and if we just talk a little bit about a definition or just basic characteristics or behaviors that we can recognize in ourselves, it's, it's when we are constantly tired. When you are snappy, when you become cynical, and it's very, very interesting. I uh, attended a lecture by the Cape Town neurologist Etienne van der Walt recently, and I was bowled away when he mentioned cynicism as an indicator of, of burnout. You see, the thing with when you're skeptical, there's still a slither of hope. But when you're cynical, you are absolutely convinced that nothing can be different. You know it all. And, and that closedness, closedness to change and to beauty and to growth and to development is a very sure sign of burnout. And then um, apathy. So, so this podcast is aimed at foundation phase teachers, specifically because their role in education is so fundamental. Well, that's why they call foundation phase <laughs> teachers. But it's relevant to everybody else. I just want to, to focus on them today because so often in education, we look at high school and we look at the high school teachers. The poor intermediate phase teachers are left by the wayside because we focus on foundation phase. Other people in the press generally focus on high school and specifically matric teachers. But what we're going to talk about is relevant for all, especially for parents especially for parents, because if parents don't understand the emotional and mental state and well-being of teachers, how can, they, how, can they, how can they add to a better state for teachers? Because our teachers are suffering. Our teachers are suffering tremendously. So I focus on foundation phase teachers specifically because their roles are so diverse. They are the only people in our educational system your parents as well, but parents generally, and I'm generalizing, but I think the average person that might listen to this podcast is a working person. And that means somehow from a pretty early age, teachers needed to take care of their children, not just for learning, but also for parenting. And the foundation phase teachers are tasked with parenting and teaching but an enormous amount of other things as well. And that's no wonder why they are so tired.
And I think so close to burnout, not everybody, but many at this time of year. Well, at any time of year, because they need to take children from happy, bubbling, shouting. Have you ever been to a preschool class? <laughs> and have you ever heard the noise factor? They're so enthusiastic. Everything is marvelous. Um, they learn with their entire bodies. And a foundation-based teacher needs to take them from that without taking that away and channel it into a sitting still and straight child that can write and read in three years' time. Just before we go on, please define the foundation phase. Which years does that refer to? Well, different people say different things. So there's one school of thought that says naught to nine. The consistent factor seems to be the age of nine. So in, in South Africa, in the educational system, it's grade, um, grade R, which is typically when a child is um, five turning six, and then running up till the end of grade three, when a child turns nine-ish, mm. more or less. Well, mm. it depends on mm. what age they were when they entered school. Mm. Yeah, and as you said, it's, re it's the time when one really entrusts your child to the teacher. Absolutely. So the teacher's well-being is of the greatest importance. Absolutely. Marita, maybe it may come up later again, but I want to say why. I have a mind that always wants to know, but why is a teacher's well-being so incredibly important? And the why is because we all, we all have mirror neurons, and sometimes they're overemphasized, but it's a reality. If I manage to yawn spontaneously right now, so, <laughs> which, I I'm know. Not, <laughs> which I'm not going to manage, but if I did, um, other people might start yawning as well. Maybe that, that little giggle that I just made would, would have made other people giggle as well. It's natural. We are, because we, we, we herd animals, we animals that belong, we read each other. And we don't have to do it consciously, we do it unconsciously, and for that we have mirror neurons. So mirror neurons mean I, I sense, and, I, and then we use the scientific definition of diffusion, and it spreads. What, what I observe and what I sense spreads. It depends where's the strongest source, and it teaches normally the strongest source in a classroom. So her well-being that she's a mirror for what many, not all, but many of the children are going to experience today. Some children are apathetic. Some children are burnout in grade R, grade 1, grade 2. Some children are on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication simultaneously. It's not well with our children at the moment. So it's so important. The teacher's well-being is phenomenally important because she needs to get to give, because it's her job to give and give and give. And if she hasn't got, if she has, very poor English, I know, but I like the GG. But if she hasn't got to give, where must our children get? Mm. And before we started talking, you also said to me that there are very few male foundation <laughs> phase teachers. There are, they are, but they're few and far between. And for that, for that reason, if that's okay, shall we use the address to the females? Yes, I'm sure that 
the male teachers will forgive us <laughs> if they happen to listen. Thank you for that. Because I, I'm sure the, the podcast will encourage them. I hope so as well. How would you define or how do you perceive the current reality of foundation phase teachers? Marie, it's tough. It's very tough, you know, and everything is blamed on the pandemic, but it is our reality. The last two and a half years, because we can't talk about the last two years, 2020, 2021, as though that was the pandemic. It's not over. We're still in it. So those two years were years leading up to children entering foundation phase. In those two years, things needed to happen to enable the child to be ready. That's where the, the concept of school readiness comes in, to be ready to to benefit so structurally remember the the egg beater and the, the the cream they need the brain needs to mature the whole body needs to mature and the child needs to be ready have the mechanics with which to develop the skills with which to be to be able to learn to write and read obviously they don't start developing skills in grade r they come with some skills as well but I mean, you apply what you've learned previously, and if there's a gap, and there is a gap, if there's a gap in in those past, those two years leading up to grade R, not just those two, the years leading up to grade R, for, for example, um, that teacher doesn't only have to go and fetch them wherever they are. And I often think, I think in pictures, and if um, Johannesburg is where learning occurs, just as an example, in terms of learning, some children are still at Grasmere. Some children are in Bloemfontein. Some children are in Beaufort West. You understand what I mean by that? Mm. They still, if, if learning is in Johannesburg, which is not, but as the example, some children are still so incredibly far away from being here with the skills, with the equipment and the skills necessary to apply. The teacher needs to go and fetch them wherever they are. Because you can't teach a child where you are. You need to teach them where they are. You understand? So the, the teacher doesn't have any choice who she teaches. And I think we can just, just talk about this and forget the rest of what I wanted to say. They don't have a choice in who they teach. A child, um, when they are of a certain age, are automatically progressed to a next grade. And whether that child is ready or not, might Dear teacher, go fetch and teach and take forward. We are actually, oh, we are bullying our teachers. And I think they feel bullied mm. on many different levels, Marit, because they feel bullied from the department side because the expectations are that they cover a curriculum. They bullied from management, because management is there to make sure that the, the um, Department of Education's outcomes are reached. Okay, so it's more pressure. Parents expect, I pay, I say. They expect, we, I'm a parent, we expect teachers to do what we often fail to do at home. We battle with our one or two or three children at home, but we expect a teacher with 35 odd children to do what we can't do at home. So, and then there's the children. The children are, are I love them, but they are strange at the moment. Even five-year-old children 
can intimidate. They, they can intimidate a teacher, and they do, and they threaten with all kinds of things, but also with attitude. You must remember, mirror neurons, that teacher is not immune to what is coming towards her. And that animosity that you sometimes find, hey man, children were in the streets, and they were in front of the TV, and they had fun for two years. Yes, some children worked very hard, but the majority of learners in our, in our country had a, a, a very long two-year vacation. I am amazed how many children are back in the classroom. I think if I was a child, I wouldn't have returned. <laughs> it just was much <laughs> too nice. But, but you understand, Marie? So that teacher is sitting with a, with a, a, a pot of discontent. Um, she's, not necessarily, she's not experienced that, but I mean, that's what happens. All the pressure from all, and she must just stand and smile. Mm, mm. and do a job yes and have the energy and have the energy and not be tired and not be snappy and not feel cynical or not you know those typical Mm. um, behaviors that are associated Mm. Mm. with um, burnout and heaven help her if she or he is apathetic because they they must feel you know that's why they became foundation phase teachers because it's the phase where you have to teach with the heart. Later you can teach with passion, which is also from the heart. But your empathy levels as a foundation phase teacher need to be up there to be able to do what you need to do. Mm. I was wondering if lack of recognition is a factor that can influence teachers' morale. Yeah, absolutely. Marit, I spoke at two conferences recently, and I did two webinars recently, strangely enough, um, for Foundation Phase teachers specifically. And it was all about writing and reading, but I ended off with a bit on, on the teacher themselves. I was bowled over by how many teachers sat crying. Why did they cry? Well, number one, because just listening to typical signs of burnout, they went tick, 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 because you can see the nods of the heads. And it's not only that, it was just that somebody understands the situation. You see, the, the thing is, I actually started off saying, if anybody in this country ever, ever dares to talk about matric results of, as a measure of the success of education or schooling in South Africa, I will thump them. Well, I used a very ugly Afrikaans word. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, yeah, but I get so angry because you cannot use the metric results as a measure of education without acknowledging foundation-faced teachers. Every person, the president of our country, every minister, every lawyer, every advocate, every medical doctor, every neuroscientist, every physicist, every mathematician, every um, actuary, every everything in this country had to move through the hands of foundation phase teachers. They are the most influential people on this earth. Yes, medicine gives us life, but foundation phase teachers determines quality of life and altitude. Because 
if a child, if a foundation fails, and it's not one teacher, it's a group of teachers. That's why it's so important that they work together, huddle together. They need that support, that support. We're on the same, at least we're fighting on the same team. Because they pass the child from one to the other, transitioning from this bubbly, noisy little one to a, a learner. Um, it needs to be acknowledged. It's very, very, it's profound work. And if a child fails to progress, for the rest of their lives, they experience themselves as less than, because they didn't manage that. So immediately it lowers the trajectory for their lives, because their expectations, their opportunities, are influenced by what they gained in, during foundation phase or what they failed to gain. Okay? So th they're vitally important. Vitally important. And I think that's why recognition is so, so incredibly important. And you know, it's not the soap or the chocolates at the end of the year. Because they don't have... It, it's too late. They need, like everybody else, they need acknowledgement. Often. Often. You know, because they're taking over the parental role. Parents should thank teach foundation all teachers but foundation phase teachers specifically on a daily basis on a daily basis because very often a foundation phase teacher spends more time with a parent's child during the course of a day than a parent him or herself so the teachers often know the children better okay they're in a group you don't know them that well individually but they they often know them better than than the parents and so the acknowledgement, remember I think in, in pictures, and remember I was a preschool teacher by profession, so my pictures are extremely simple. <laughs> so emotional well-being to me is a bucket, but a beautiful, beautiful, you know, these old-fashioned iron steel buckets. I, it has a clung to it. I love the sound of those buckets. And, and the more you get, the more you get, the more your bucket fills up, your emotional bucket. And if you get enough, it becomes, it overflows. And then you've got to give. So you've got to get to give. Obviously, you have to give yourself as well. We can't just be reliant on, on the acknowledgement of other people. You can give acknowledgement yourself as well. But there is nothing, there is nothing like somebody else's thank you. Oh, please, that helps as well. But what happens very often when there's a lot of pressure, you know, the typical bully behavior we spoke about earlier on, the pressure from different angles, the lack of recognition, the push, 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 the expectations, the, all of those things drill holes in that bucket. And as you pour in, or other people pour in, it just runs out at the bottom because the negativity the, the pressure, the burnout, the, all of that stuff drains. It drains the emotions. So there's very little to give. And when you then stand in front of a classroom, what have you got to give? And that's why sometimes you hear the decibels rise in a classroom towards end of term or you hear it at home as well. The decibels rise when the holes and the buckets Everything is running out, you know, so there's very little to give. You hear it in the decibels of people's voices. That's very well said.
So I, I also used to teach long ago, centuries ago, as you said, and I know it's one of the most... It, it, it takes a lot out of you it is. to carry a classroom. It is. And you are now making me realize how, as you said, the pandemic is blamed for everything, but it did bring a lot of change and, and things that went downhill. How it has influenced the way that teachers function in the classroom. You know, Marie, during the pandemic, teachers who teach because they love children and they love learning, because you have to love both to be able to be a good teacher. So not only did they have to teach, they had to teach from home, learning a completely new system. While they probably had a family as well, and those children were home as well. So they should have had a long, long break with emotional support. I want to say with therapy after 2021. Didn't happen. You just have to, oh, now we're off air, back in the classroom. And now we adjust again and again and again. It's very difficult, Mariette. And it really, really, really is echoed in the dropout rate. If you look at the statistics in terms of dropout rate of um, teachers in general, but foundation phase teachers specifically, new teachers, if I'm not mistaken, there's a 46% dropout rate of teachers after their first year of teaching, of which the majority are in foundation phase. It is simply too, to quote Al Pacino from A Scent of a Woman, it's too darn hard. Mm. It's just too darn hard to teach in foundation phase sometimes. So their buckets become empty. And how does that leave them? Well, if you have to get to be able to give, it leaves them empty. So it leaves them vulnerable. And it also leaves them needy in a way. Because you need to be refueled. How? When? Who? What? We'll get to that towards the end. But Mariette, that feeling of vulnerability often in itself um, rolls onto or progresses into either apathy, anxiety, depression. So those are things that, that that's a reality. It, it's just human. You know, if you haven't got to give to, to protect yourself, you switch off your heart center. You switch it off. You have to, so otherwise you're not going to make it. And then it has its own repercussions. With that sometimes comes anxiety. Because what if people find out? What if I don't, I've chosen to spend more time with the children and their well-being and not the curriculum, but I'm going to get into trouble for that because I'm supposed to teach the curriculum. But if I teach the curriculum, I lose the learners. You know, so that anxiety um, drives teachers insane and, and some become depressed. They just become immobile in a way. And there's marvelous work, and for the life of me, I can't remember the, the author of the work right now, but he, where he shows visual images um, that represent different emotional states. It is phenomenal. And you'll see with anxiety how, how the colors, because it's done in color, how the colors shrink. 
So it's all about your feeling on the inside. Well, it's actually not your feeling. It's the tempo of your heart rate and your breathing rate. So that heart is hammering away. The, um, your lungs are pumping away. <laughs> because, the, you know, the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Okay? When you look at depression, there's no energy in that picture. It's, it's not dead. But it's, it's barely alive. Oh, but then, Mariette, when a teacher hangs on to her love, love of teaching, love of the child, love of the content, that love, if you see a picture of that love, it permeates, it sends, it radiates from the heart all over the body. It mobilizes the face and the arms specifically. The legs to a lesser extent in that specific example. I don't think it's true. I think it extends to the legs as well. But in the images, and we'll find a way to see if we can share this with with the listeners. It's phenomenal to see how it had radiates to the face, marineurons, and to the arms and the hands, which always represent communication. So you, you see, as long as teachers and us as human beings can hold on to love, we are in a position of influence. We've got to give. Love fills your own basket, your own bucket, I mean. Love fills your own. If you feel love, the level in your emotional bucket increases immediately, always to a level of overflowing. Yes, and I think later in our conversation, you're also going to come back to yeah. Yeah. Before we go there, we decided that we were also going to talk about the many roles that teachers fulfill. Yeah. That's what's so exhausting. If they were just teaching, that's okay. But they're not. All teachers, but Foundation Faith specifically, they're the ones that look after, they're a coach, a sports coach. They're, the, they're a referee. So they play on the field. Of a fissure, because a fissure is responsible for gross motor development, for the development of the big muscles of the body and the well-being of those big muscles. Foundation Face teachers teach children to move and to control those muscles. They play on the field of a fissure therapist. If there's an injury, they need to sass out. Is it something, can I wrap? May I wrap? May I touch to wrap, to help? Oh. That's a conversation for another day. Or do we refer to somebody else in this moment? Because so many parents don't have medical aids anymore. So what happens, even if you refer, the referral doesn't go. It doesn't reach therapists very often because of, of all kinds of practicalities of which money is one. So, but, but it's not just that. The foundation phase teacher also plays in the field of the occupational therapist. She's not a fissure. She's not an occupational therapist, but she plays on her terrain because an occupational therapist is responsible for fine motor development. That's exactly what a foundation phase teacher does. A, fine, a, a foundation phase teacher is also re- playing on the field of audiologists. She's the one that needs to, to pick up that there's a problem with this child's hearing. You know, sometimes a child just has a way of talking very, in a very rounded way. They'll pick it up and they'll know, but there's a hiccup here. Or they are very loud themselves, the children, but they block their ears if there's noise in the environment. That's the field of the um, audiologist. The foundation face teacher 
plays in that field. But you can't talk about audiology without talking about speech therapy because the one leads into the, the other. French, you know, and throat specialist Alfred Amata said the, the mouth can only produce what the ear can hear. So if the ear is faulty, it affects speech. So the, the foundation phase teacher is listening to speech. She's the one that picks up at this child if they don't live in an area where the, the soft R, you know, the gebreider, in these areas in our country where that's the way people speak. But in our other areas, it's, it's deemed as a speech problem. Foundation phase teachers know that irrespective of the own language of the child, if you ask that child to say pada very rapidly, pada, 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 the ad, 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 turns into an R. She's playing on the field of, a, of the speech therapist because she's positioning the tongue in the right place so the child moves beyond their speech. Because you see, the thing is, the way you speak, you write. So, so can you see the roles? She's the optometrist. She plays in the field of the optometrist. She's the one that notices that frown when they look up at the board, the blackboard or the whiteboard or whatever is used in class. Or when they look down, they, they frown or they, they move their head so incredibly close to print. Or sometimes the child wears glasses. And I love the glasses that we can buy in shops. It's marvelous for older people because they're superb at magnifying. But with de developing children, their eyes aren't the same, ours either. But, but with a developing child that must still conquer the code of language, man, they need, those eyes need to work well together. And sometimes they need glasses, but they don't need magnification. They may need that as well. But they actually need lenses that will enable the eyes to track together like, two, like a horse-drawn cart where the two equally strong horses, because then that cart will go straight straight ahead. Otherwise, it turns corners or it turns right. I can go on. We can think of foundation phase teachers. There's always a concept because we will always have to make money in schools, extra <laughs> money. So she becomes the accountant because she needs to take in and record the money business. But, but she's the one that paints the backdrops. She's the one that sometimes has to, has to make the clothes or make do with whatever. So those kids are so cute. So she's the artist. She's a makeup artist. She's, oh, he is the, um, is the drama teacher. You know what? Foundation face teachers, I think, would love to have long nails, wear stunning designer clothes and high heels. Have you ever seen a foundation face teacher like that? That just wouldn't work. Oh, why? Because they platopi arda. They 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 understand. You meet a child at the child's level, which means you need to bend down. I would love to do research to count how many times a foundation phase teacher bends down during the course of a day. I I would love to count that because yes, it's excellent um, exercise for the teacher, but but it's exhausting. But why do they bend down? Because they meet them at, at eye level. Why? Because then we can connect. Then we can understand the verbals and the non-verbals. You see, there are so many other roles, Mariette. I've only spoken about physical things at the moment. On an emotional level, well, every concept, every bit of drama, every developmental play that involves drama outside the classroom, as part of the arts and culture, part of the curriculum, um, that teacher makes a fool of herself. And yes, in a hurtful way, we often say, 
teaches are um, adults among children and children amongst adults. Do we know how many holes we drill or how big the hole is that we drill with a comment like that? If, you, if the teachers didn't spend that ch time with children, uh, being able to relate to them, what would happen to many of the hearts of our children? You understand when that ch teacher is, is doing drama, she's giving the child or painting a face or making a mask or acting, you're giving a child the permission to act in ways that you won't necessarily do. With that, you try out different emotions, different roles. The timid child would maybe not take the lead in a concert. But as part of the concert, they can also sing loudly. And the, just that, the amount of space that your sound invades has a correlation with, with self-esteem. So do you understand? The teacher doesn't only do that. She plays on the field of um, a social worker, which is working within the system of a family. So many families are, are not intact families. Or if they're intact, there's so much drama and, and stuff going on in families. Um, people are doing their best. But our best is battling at the moment. You understand? So the teacher is the one that, that mediates. And in split up families, my word, uh, um, when I spoke at the conference, I had a beautiful picture of a teacher sitting with, with two parents, a uh, husband and wife, and um, how they all got together and they were laughing and the teachers were laughing. I said, but that's how it is with every teacher interview. And they laughed because I know it's not la like that. Because if there's conflict between mom and dad, teacher needs to mediate that relationship before she can mediate the relationship with the child. Why are our foundation phase teachers exhausted? It's obvious why. Then they're the math mathematician, hopscotch. It's math. <laughs> they're code breakers. Marit, we can speak for hours on the code breaking. What is code breaking? The ABC is a code. The one, two, three is a code. The plus, the minus, the full stop, the exclamation mark, the question mark, all of those. It's code. The foundation phase teacher needs to break that code to enable that child to acquire the code and then manipulate the code to, to get to earn ticks, to get the answers right, to, to write beautiful sentences. It's code. The foundation phase teacher is a code breaker. She's an engineer because she builds a bridge between illiteracy and literacy. There's a beautiful image um, where you see two hands holding a book and children running from the one side um, to the other side. It, it's the most beautiful image because that's what a foundation phase teacher does. She's the engineer that engineers the process, that maintains that process till the child is safely on the other side. Because when a child leaves foundation phase, they integrate four. The most difficult here. Research has indicated time and time again, it is the most difficult year in a child's schooling, not grade 12, grade 4. It's a transition between foundation phase and intermediate phase. But it's also very, for many children, it's a transition from learning in mother tongue to learning in English or a, a different language, a, a second additional language. There are more subjects. Sometimes children move class. There's, 
There's a whole expectation around grade four, and that child, foundation phase teacher, needs to take that bubbly, squirming, jumping, yelling bundle of energy and gently, gently, gently transition them into an, a learner who reads to learn with joy and pleasure and without pain. No wonder they are exhausted. Did you notice that I didn't mention teaching at all as one of the roles? I just spoke about the additional roles and not really what happens in a classroom on a daily basis. That's right. And that, that, creates, the, that creates the structure for the teaching yeah. to be successful. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mariet, with all these roles, it's a natural consequence to experience burnout. Okay, it's natural. You have to do a lot of additional things to prevent yourself as a foundation phase teacher, as a teacher, but foundation phase teacher specifically. You have to do a lot of stuff not to burn out. You have to do a lot of stuff, and I call it stuff because there are too many things you need to do. But you need to do a lot of stuff, work, um, not to, to suffer too much from secondary trauma. It is impossible if you're a passionate teacher and there's a child experiencing trauma at home or in the family or in the environment. Um, it's impossible not to feel that. You understand? But with 35 children in your class, and it's not just them, it's their siblings, it's their parents as well, because you care about the parent, because you care about the child, you care about the system in which the child operates. You understand? So now we've got... We have to fight burnout. We have to fight not being pulled down completely with secondary trauma. And that's why many, many teachers battle with, with um, compassion fatigue. So compassion, it's a natural consequence of this whole gedunte that we, that we just spoke about. And for that reason, it's so important that the Department of Education, or people in management, but specifically parents and our children need to understand that we're not working with a hologram teacher yet. We are not working with a robot within augmented reality or anything like that. We are working, we are being taught by a flesh and blood person. And this person also needs us. We need them, but they also need us. And it's that combination, the combination between parents and children, um, the relationship between parents and teachers, and the relationship between teachers and children. If that, those three relationships are healthy relationships, they get to give to our children. Thank you for that insight. What can foundation phase teachers do to improve their reality? You've talked about stuff, but maybe... <laughs> What's that stuff? M there's so many things that need to be done. But you see, then it becomes more tasks. They task close to death already. Mm. So we can't task them more. So I always turn to nature. I love the principles of biomimicry, which means you turn to nature to solve... Um, complex problems in life. So, and I truly believe in creation. I truly believe we just need to turn to 
nature and we'll get solutions. So we're going back very far <laughs> in life because soon after conception, very soon after conception, when the sperm and the, and the um, egg cell joins, membrane forms around it to protect the fertilization. Okay, And that membrane soon has three layers. So, so why do I go back there? Because I always think, think of a, think of a, a hinge. Think of a door. If you want to close a door, it's easier to push on the side of the door than it is close to the hinge. Are you with me? Because there's a lot of power around the hinge, but there's a lot of effect if you push further away. So the inverse of that is if we want to intervene, it's very clever to go close to the hinge. Yes. <laughs> okay. Hence the reasoning, let's go, let's go to... Um, close to the hinge, which in the human being is, is around about fertilization. Because those three layers, this is what we need to, it's stuff we do every day. But if we do it with, with greater awareness, some people talk about mindfulness, don't want you to be, to keep it in your mind all the time. I want you to understand this, if it makes sense to you, adopt it, and then leave it at the back of your mind to, to help you make certain choices. So the, the three layers that form are vital. The first layer turns into everything that protects you. Your skin, your hair, your teeth and your nails. So that's phenomenal. Your skin, your hair, your tooth, your tooth, I hope you've got more than one. Your <laughs> teeth and your nails are the things that define you. So that's where teachers need to spend time. And if parents want to really, really reach the teacher and say, I see you, I feel for you. Give them a gift <laughs> that has something to do with the sk their skin, their hair, their nails, or their teeth. Because foundation phase teachers, I'm going to address you directly now, you are not being superficial or when you when you pay attention to your hair, your nails, your teeth, and your skin, because your beauty influences the children in your class. It gives hope. And what it also does, it, it um, influences the choices of many dads. They want their child to go to a very specific teacher because she's a, <laughs> I'm being very facetious now. But, but it's true. It's true. Many are true who spoken in jest. But, but, Paying attention to your outer layer is vitally important. Not the cheapest cream you can find. Let your nose lead you. Because the smell, smell is the one odor, is the one thing that reaches the emotional part of the brain the fastest. So that's why, if you like coffee, the, the smell of coffee, oh, the smell of perfume, for some, the smell of a baby's head or body. There, there are many different things, but smell bypasses all the complex systems in the brain. It goes straight to the emotional brain. So choose, choose body thingies that are really, that really smells well and that leaves your, your, your body radiating, shining with life. The second layer becomes the digestive tract, from in to out. In other words, from the mouth 
to the anus and everything in between. So the moment your skin, hair, teeth or nails are not so great, it immediately affects your metabolism. It immediately affects the metabolism. Because the moment you don't feel so good, what happens? You feel less than, you become anxious. What happens? Your mouth goes dry and your tummy feels funny. What happens next? Your heart starts beating very rapidly and your breathing rate becomes more shallow. Anxiety. Okay? What happens to eating? Becomes difficult to chew, so you would rather um, drink food than eat food. It's quicker. You also know it digests easier. But it's not human. Um, food is there to nourish you, but it's also there to nurture. So paying attention to the first two layers, the skin, the hair, the teeth, and the nails, and your entire digestive tract in terms of what you eat and choose to eat and drink, and that you choose to, sh to chew, means you are nurturing yourself. Yes, you are nourishing yourself, but you're also nurturing yourself. And with that, your emotional well-being, that bucket is filling up. You don't have to rely on other people to fill your bucket. Yes, their acknowledgement, their appreciation, their just eye contact, I see you, how are you? Those things also fill the bucket. But if we, if we rely on other people to fill our bucket, eh, you've got big holes in your bucket because it always starts with you. You take responsibility, other people will add, but they're not responsible for, your, for our well-being. So that takes us to the third layer after conception, and that becomes your entire, your brain and your entire nervous system. So there's a direct correlation. Think of the Afrikaans cook sister. Oh, nowadays they only use two, oh, think of a plait. Yes. Because that's always three strands of hair or three bits of dough if you do a proper cook sister. The relationship between your outer layer, hair, skin, teeth and nails, your inner layer, your digestive tract and your brain, it's interconnected. Um, There's a correlation between the three. If one of those first two suffer, the brain does too. And then when the brain suffers, you move into the lowest part of your brain, which is the survival part of the brain. And that's the snappy, irritable, cynical, burnout place. So we don't want to go there. So teachers, parents, foundation phase teachers specifically, wow, you are amazing. You are works of art. You are probably the most resilient people on earth. People want to measure and define resilience. I think they need to turn to foundation phase teachers. You are amazing. You are phenomenal. Thank you for giving even what you haven't got sometimes. But Muranirans. If you give what you've got, there's left over for you to have a life outside the school classroom. Parents, thank you for listening and for showing your appreciation, not sporadically, but often. You are amazing too.
Thank you, Melody. And I think you've already mentioned those tips for supporting teachers. Where can listeners find more information on your work? Well, the MindMoose website is probably the easiest port of call. So that is www.mindmoose.co.za. There's Baby Jim. There's Senior MindMoose. There's e-learning. But I think the easiest is www.mindmoose.co.za and then just pop a note. Uh, those links I can attach to the podcast. Oh, fantastic. Of, Thank of you. your several websites Thank because you. you work with several phases of of our being human. Yes. Are you ready for your fun question? Oh my head. Yes, bring it up. <laughs> As usual, we're going to the realm of the imagination. Oh. Melody, if you had a luxury tent, now you must listen closely, with a library, a heated pool, a wonderful sound system, and some whatever you would like to to add to that, in what kind of environment would you most like to see your tent? On my back. On your back. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just change the heated pool? (laughs) I would like a cold one, please. (laughs) And may I, maybe negotiate, Marie. (laughs) You may. Um, Or maybe I'll take the, no, I love water. I love swimming. Um, Can I add wings? Yes. Because um, then I can take my tent anywhere because I love the mountains. I love the sea. I love the Bosveld. Bosveld and Bosveld in the Zellerplekne. Um, so there's not one place. And I would park in people's gardens and just live. <laughs> I don't know. I would love the freedom to move my tent. But it must have a pop-up button, you know. <laughs> when I take it off, you just pop it up and... <laughs> well, I've, I've now got got the image of a flying tortoise <laughs> because he's... no I don't like that at all I was more heading towards um, what, oh man not a fairy that's the insipid no Maria definitely not a tortoise no, no it's heavy when I can fly with my tent I'll be light I'll be light <laughs> oh that was fun thank you Melody for speaking from your heart and giving from what you've got to make us, to help us understand the situation of teachers better. Thank you. Thank you, Marie. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. I'd really appreciate it if you'd rate Calm, Clear and Helpful, where you download your podcasts. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in improving your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, marietsneeman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mark-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.